We come now to the next in our, in our series through the book of Hebrews this summer, Better Together. And we're working our way through this really important and key passage in the Bible about our meeting together. And so we're now coming to verse 23. And so I'm going to read out the whole passage, Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25, for us to set the context. And then after I read God's word, Josh will come and share, before, share for us. So let's go ahead and stand together as I read the scriptures. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you very much, Pastor Dan. It's really good to uh, be uh, together and to have these wonderful baptisms early in the service. There was a moment when Pastor Eric was introducing the baptism saying, I'm going to baptize three of my six children. I thought he said three of my 16 children. And um, I thought, well, there's, there's news for everyone. I, I knew it was six, but I thought, you know, it was a moment where I thought, wow, that's, that's a lot. And, um, but it's uh, just amazing to see that work in that family. And it's fun to be a part of a pastoral team where there's that sort of energy in uh, the real life of family. And a lot of it comes down to our commitment to God's word, doesn't it? As a church and as individuals and as a pastoral uh, staff team together. We're looking at the Bible, Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Uh, We've come to verse 23. Let me pray for us. I'll read it out again and then we'll dig into scripture together. So let me pray. Our Lord God, we pray this morning as we've already sung, that your faithfulness would be evident to us, that we would grasp hold of that faithfulness again this morning and see why you are better than anything else and therefore why it's better uh, for us uh, to be together. We pray for all of us in that regard, for those who are new to these things here this morning, perhaps come for the baptism, perhaps just checking out Jesus and the church as we search for meaning, um, but also for those who perhaps are struggling or those who need to have a word of encouragement. All of us, in other words, we pray that your word would be powerfully at work by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, let me read out for us verse 23. This is where we're going to focus uh, this morning of Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. It is 1943. You are on a plane. You're flying across the Pacific 
you're on a, uh, a search and rescue mission. The plane is not the normal plane that's used for that. The normal plane that's used for that is in the shop. It cannot fly. And so instead, you're actually flying on the plane that was used for parts to repair other planes. But it's a search and rescue mission. So you've got to go. And you're, you're flying across the vast Pacific Ocean searching to rescue. One of the engines fails. The plane begins to shudder. Before too long, it all goes wrong and it crashes into the, into the ocean. You and a few others survive. Uh, you clamber aboard a couple of life rafts and you float on that vast ocean for 47 days. Eventually you're rescued to go to a prisoner of war camp and experience unspeakable suffering. On one particularly memorable day when you're floating on that life raft in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, <laughs> having fought off sharks that are circling around the life rafts, a plane appears, not to rescue you, but to attack you, and dives and starts firing machine gun fire at the life rafts. There are sharks circling as a plane diving, firing a machine gun at you. What do you do? Here's what Louis Zamperini did. He dived in the shark, into the shark-infested water deep enough to get out of the, the firing line of the, the plane attacking with the machine gun fire and with his bare hands and his feet fought off the sharks and survived. It's an extraordinary story and the book of that story perhaps you know is called Unbroken and there's a movie by the same name, um, Unbroken. The passage we're looking at this morning has some of that same feeling. We're told to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, or it's just one word there, unwaveringly, or as I say, we might think of it as unbroken, without wavering. Uh, the word there only appears here in the entire New Testament. And if you thought about what that means, is it's hard to know how to translate it because it's nowhere else in the New Testament, but it does appear regularly in Greek outside the New Testament. And one particular author called Philo, it's an important word for him. And in his writings, this word unwaveringly or without wavering means the following. It refers, says one commentator called Lane, to the immutability of God and the stability, therefore, of the friends of God. In other words, immutability means unchangeableness of God, 
the immutability of God and therefore the stability of the friends of God. Unbroken, unwavering, without wavering. And what this passage is teaching us as we face, whether it's you know, frustrations about having to stand in line for so long when you're going to the grocery store, or, 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 or whether it's more difficult things like your own mental health, or whether it's, whether it's uh, things in your family, or, or, or whether it's frustrations you have with your, your ministry, what this passage is telling us is that we need to be unwavering, to be unbroken, to be without wavering, we need both grit and grace. Both grit and grace. You see, the passage, the verse that we're looking at, is divided into two parts. The first part is grit, the second part is grace. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, that's grit, For he who promised is faithful, and that's the grace. To have grit, we need to hold fast. He says, let us hold fast. To hold fast means to hold on, to grasp hold of, to dig deep. We might put it like this, to hold on for dear life. There's Gandalf in the mines of Moria, and he is confronted by the Balrog, a demon from the pits of hell. And there's Gandalf, and he's standing on the bridge of Moria. A small figure looks up at the Balrog, the demon, and says, you shall not pass. That's what it means to hold fast. You shall not pass. The application of this for life and ministry is multiple. Charles Simeon, after whom uh, the Simeon Trust, which is one of the organizations that College Church has spawned over the years, Charles Simeon was a Cambridge professor and a pastor of a church called Holy Trinity in Cambridge. He stayed there for five decades or so, had huge influence, but in the first, well, first decade, really, if not longer, he experienced massive opposition. In fact, and you have to understand something of the structure of the Church of England in those days and still today, uh, though Simeon was the minister and so legally had control over the worship service, the church wardens, as the officials are called in the Church of England, had control over the building. And because he had so many enemies and experienced so much opposition, the church wardens actually physically locked the pews in the church, so there are pews like we have here, but they, there were little doors on them with keys, and the church wardens physically locked the doors so that people couldn't get in to hear him preach. 
And when Simeon, being a creative man, uh, Simeon was a, a man with a, a great sense of humor, actually, he, he, in Cambridge, took a bet with a friend of his of who could dress the ma- most outrageously that year. And Simeon, um, umbrellas were unusual at the time. They came originally from China. Simeon carried an umbrella, which was viewed as particularly outrageous at those days, and he won the bet. You can still see Simeon's umbrella across the uh, vestry in Holy Trinity. He was a creative man, and Simeon decided that the way around this, the pews being locked, was to obviously put chairs in the aisles, but the church wardens came along and took the chairs out. One day, Simeon was walking in the streets of Cambridge with his New Testament open, and his eyes happened on the verse about the man after whom he was named, Simon of Cyrene, where it says, they made him carry his cross. And Simeon stayed. He held fast. The impact of that simple decision to hold fast was huge. Uh, Simeon was a part of a group called the Clapham Sect. Sect, not as we use it today, meaning weird cult, but a group, the Clapham Group. And actually that group is the, uh, the group after which Clapham School that meets in this building is named. And that group included people like Charles Simeon and and John Newton, but also William Wilberforce, who was the prime, uh, most significant person, most influential person in the abolition of the slave trade, and massively influenced by Simeon, because he said, you shall not pass. Your marriage, your life, hold fast. It's grit, isn't it? But to have that kind of grit, we also need a future orientation. He says here, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. I was actually uh, discussing this with Josh Maurer, who's on our staff team this, uh, this week, because it's fascinating that this confession of our hope by the King James version of the Bible, the old King James, is actually translated confession of our faith, which bamboozled me for a while because the word is hope. Why the King James version translated as confession of faith. Of course, the reason why is because they thought that it would make more sense to talk about confession of faith. Uh, That's how we normally talk, and here in the context, it describes God being faithful, and so therefore, it makes more sense, confession of faith, because God is faithful, makes more sense. But the word is is actually hope, and the translators, our modern translators, surely have it right And in fact, the author of Hebrews is making a point. What he's saying is, for us to hold fast, we need to have a confession that is future-orientated, that is hope-focused, not simply present or past-focused. Look, College Church has a great history. It's been around for 150 years. Well, what counts is not the last 150 years, but the next 150 years. Our confession needs not to be a confession only of faith, but a confession of hope. And this, of course, was the great secret of the civil rights movement. 
The, the reason why the civil rights movement was so successful and they managed to hold fast is because they didn't just simply sing, as, as they did, as you may know, the famous hymn that they would often sing, We Shall Not Be Moved, We Shall Not Be Moved. They sung that, that's hold fast, but they also had a dream. That one day my children will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. That's still a dream, isn't it? We have a dream. The God-centered gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed in us as a church and through us to the world by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Our dream as a church, it's not just a confession of faith we have, it's a confession of hope. Our hope is that God would so work in this church, he would so transform us by his spirit, that we would be a light to Chicago land and the nations. That's our dream. Our dream is nothing less than revival. Our dream is, is nothing less than that 30% of church attendance in America would get back up to 50-60%. And genuine faith. We don't just have a confession. We have a dream. We have a God-sized dream, like a crazy dream. Like God, that God will be so massively at work through us that he'd raise up missionaries, that our children will be baptized, our marriages will be healthy, that we'd have this confession, not just a faith, but a hope. I know that's challenging. I, I was uh, you know, talking to Rochelle one day and uh, describing some of whatever was frustrating me that day, I can't even remember what it was, but I remember as I was walking out the door, she looked at me with a big smile and she said, be, Josh, be like Martin Luther King. He didn't say, I had a moan, he said, I have a dream. Don't have a moan. Have a dream. Don't just have a confession of faith, have a confession of hope. That's what it means to be a Christian. The kingdom of God is advancing. Aslan is on the move. That's what it means to believe in God, as uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's a confession of hope. And then he says, uh, let us hold fast, the conf- this is all grit, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. We've already considered what without wavering means, this unwavering connection to the immutability of God that generates the stability of the friends of God unwaveringly. And one man who um, epitomized this was one of the greatest well, certainly one of the most talented Christian leaders of the 20th century, a man called Albert Schweitzer. Schweitzer, who was just ridiculously gifted in so many different areas, theologian, medical doctor, uh, concert standard uh, musician, just everything, basically. But Albert Schweitzer knew the, the value of grit. And at one point he said, if you want to do something, you, need not, you must not naively assume that people will roll stones out of your way. You should assume they will roll stones into your way. And he said, only the force that gets stronger with opposition wins. That's grit. But of course, there's a danger there, isn't there? Grit without grace can become intransigent. 
stubborn, even arrogant, difficult, unloving, incorrigible, uncorrectable. So there's grit, but there's also grace. Yes, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, but here it comes, the grace, for he who promised is faithful. You see, my friends, the faithfulness of Christians is not because we are so faithful. The strength of a Christian is not because he or she is so strong. Our faithfulness is because he who promised is. It's all on him, isn't it? And of course, the challenge at this point is to be too pietistic uh, in how we talk about it. It's so easy uh, in a sanctuary uh, to sound big about being faithful. Uh, But in the hospital room or in the bedroom or in the kitchen after bad news has come to you, it's much harder. It's so easy to give pietistic rhetoric that feels good but is not substantial. And I think, frankly, this is a real challenge. Uh, I don't think any of us uh, find it easy. I think it is much easier much more likely that we would be akin and similar to the disciples of Jesus when they were in the boat with Jesus in the storm and they woke him up saying, don't you care if we drown? And he said, don't you have, oh, you a little faith, don't you have any faith? It's much, much more likely, isn't it, that we're going to be akin to those disciples. Lord, don't you care if we drown? Where are you? It's a storm. It's so easy, I think, as a preacher to give rhetorically nice-sounding words about the faithfulness of God that don't resonate in the reality of the suffering of the human condition. I remember listening many times to one particular preacher who was a very gifted preacher, and I think certainly for a while actually an anointed preacher. And like all preachers, he had certain go-to stories, and I heard this particular story many times that he used to tell in this kind of context. Uh, He would tell the story of an elder of his at his church who they had discovered was committing adultery, and he, this pastor, had to sit down with his elder and tell them that they'd found this out and uh, obviously tell them that he was in the wrong and that he needed to repent and all the rest. And as the, as the preacher, this pastor, told the story, he would with great drama say how the elder looked at him and, and, and said, I know it's wrong, but I don't have the power to stop doing it. And the preacher would say, you know, with great pathos, what we need is not theory but power and of course that's true 
And yet, how do we access that power? I mean, it's one thing to read here. He who promised is faithful and, yes, sing about it and talk about it. It's another thing to experience that power, that faithfulness of God. I don't know if you remember the uh, Chariots of Fire uh, movie uh, that uh, one of the great heroes in it is Eric Liddell, who was an Olympic athlete who then uh, became a missionary to China. And um, they still have a memorial to him. So influential was he in China. And Eric Liddell in this movie at one point, and I don't know whether it's a fair reflection of what Liddell actually said or not. I haven't, done, I haven't read a biography of Eric Liddell, so I just don't know. But in the movie... Uh, it has him say, uh, where does the strength come from to see the race through to the end? And Little said, the strength comes from within. And if, from within, and if what Eric Little meant by that was the, the Christian sense of that, in other words, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within you, and therefore the, the strength comes from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, then that is true. But if what is meant by that is this idea that actually it's internal strength, the strength is within us, then that's not right. It's He who promised is faithful. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He gives power to the faint. And then famously, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. It's waiting on him. And his power. On him who is faithful. Who came as a baby. And lived fulfilling all the promises of the Bible and died in your place that you might be forgiven and rose again in power to pour out His Spirit on those who hold fast to Him. It's an interesting picture, isn't that? That holding fast, that holding on for dear life to him who promises faithful. You know, I obviously have um, children who span a wide age range. Some are younger, some are older. And I remember holding the hands of the olders when they were younger and the youngers 
when they were older. I'll probably get into trouble. I'm not meant to tell any stories about my children anymore, otherwise I'll get told off. So this is, I'm keeping it deliberately as generic as I can so that I have a good lunch afterwards. Uh, but, but that picture of holding on, what I see is the little hand that I reach out to when we cross the road. Give me a hand. Oh, they're holding on. But it's my hand that's going to protect them. And similarly, yeah, you need to hold on, hold fast. But you can only do it because of grace, because of His almighty hand. And that indeed is actually what Louis Zamperini, the, the, the story of the unbroken story which we begin experienced. He came back to America from the war and because of all he'd been through, began to ex- go through real um, mental anguish, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, um, flashbacks, all the trauma that comes from uh, the adrenaline that won't quiet down because your, your brain, your body has been so used to the fight or flight ex- uh, uh, chemicals that, that, that it's triggered by things that you shouldn't feel threatened by, but you do, and the, and the engine runs, and, and he couldn't sleep, and he had flashbacks and nightmares and took to drink, and his life was falling apart until one day... He happened on a preacher. And he saw Christ. And he held on to him. And he became, I think, not merely unbroken, but whole. And that's, of course, is what we have to offer to you, too, here this morning. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he, that's grit, and his grace, for he who promised is faithful. Let's pray together. Will you um, say these uh, words uh, to the Lord in prayer as we are quiet? Uh, the, The words here of Scripture, let us hold fast. Perhaps you would say to the Lord, I'm going to, Lord, I'm going to hold on to you. And then here's uh, the confession of our hope. Perhaps you say to the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm not just living for the past, the, f- the faith of my forefathers. I'm living for the future, the faith of the next generation's. And perhaps you can say, Lord, show me your hope, your dream for my life and for the life of uh, your church. Without wavering, perhaps you can say, Lord, help me not to waver, help me not to wobble when I get out the door, but to stay true to you. 
for he who promised is faithful. And perhaps you can say, Lord, help me to hold on to your hand and know that your hand is holding on to me. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you that you are faithful. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.